Well, church, this is a, a big week in the life of our church. So many things are beginning afresh. Uh, our adult Bible study starts a new term next Sunday. Man-to-man starts this Friday at 620 here in our gym. We have our anniversary celebration next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. And also at that time, you'll receive information as far as in, in the hallways and about our community group and how vital it is for all of us to be involved in a community group where we get to know each other and pray for each other and grow in the Lord together. God has called us to community. So that is all happening this week. So please be aware of that. And it's happy Labor Day weekend. It's good to see you. And what a joy to worship here. And, you know, Dean has led us so well for 24 plus years. So I want to thank you for that. And as you know, he received his education at Auburn University. So um, <laughs> War Eagle, brother, War Eagle. Okay. But look, we're going to be in, uh, <laughs> if the score had been reversed, I would not have mentioned that. Okay. Uh, we're going to be in First Thessalonians. We go back to this book and wrap it up in the next few weeks. And this is a passage, and it's a passage about worship. Is verses 16 through 18. Listen to the word of God. Paul writes, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I think we must look at this in context as Paul talks about true worship. Verses 1 through 11 is about our position in Christ and who we are in Christ. He's just finished in chapter 4 talking about the second coming of Christ and the hope we have in Christ. And and he says this, starting in verse 4, he says, But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day, the second coming of Christ, should surprise you. You are like, like a thief. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be alert and let us be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Behold who you are in Christ. Behold your appointment to receive eternal life, not wrath. We don't belong to the night. We belong to the day. Therefore, put on love and faith as a, as a breastplate and a helmet and be watchful, be alert. And then as the theological foundation is, is constructed and built he launches out into relationships in the body of Christ. He says, you know, says, you know uh, be very careful how you relate to one another. Verse 12 and 13, he talks about how you relate to those who labor among you, who teach you the word of God. And then he says regarding all types of people, in verse 14, we urge you, brothers, to warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, and help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. So so, so relationships flow out of our understanding of who we are in Christ. And then as we understand who we are in Christ and we have relationships that are anchored in that reality and we, we don't pay back evil for evil, but we bless people, 
we, we encourage the timid, we stand beside, then you enter into a life of worship. And worship feeds the whole process. And to me, he's talking about a life of worship, of looking unto God. Uh, rejoice, or be, joy, be joyful always. Pray without ceasing. In all things, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Just, just see the context. See, see what the Apostle Paul is, is saying here. And, and listen to me. When you have that type of health in a church, in a family, then you can engage the culture with the good news of Jesus. When you know who you are and you build on that, when relationships are strong and vital, and, and when you have a life of worship, then you can talk about reaching unreached people groups. You can talk about taking the gospel to campuses around our country. You, you can talk about how to impact our culture to the glory of God, but you've got to get these things right. You've got to be a worshiper who builds your life on the foundation of who Christ is, and as that happens, you have relationships that are strong and valid and health-producing. And, and so th then you can pray, Oh, Lord, may your kingdom come. And I love what one of the old catechisms says is, well, what does it mean when we say thy kingdom come? It means this. So, so rule in us by your word and by your Holy Spirit that we are more and more obedient to you, that you destroy the works of the devil and every proud inclination raised up against your holiness, that you strengthen and increase your church until you, Lord Christ, are our all in all. See, when the foundation is strong, relationships are fed by that, and you're a worshiper, you can pray thy kingdom come. There's health, there's joy. Conversely, thing about this verse the other day, James chapter 3, verse 16, says this regarding walking in the way of the Lord. He, he says, but, but where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from above, one of my favorite verses, is first of all pure and peace-loving and considerate and submissive, is full of mercy and good fruits, is impartial and it's sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So we have envy and selfish ambition, which he says is of the devil, there you have all types of disorder and every evil practice, but, but the wisdom from above is pure and peace-loving and considered. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. A church, man, let's think about worship. Let's think about these aspects of, of coming to Christ. Let's think about what it means to continually feed our worship with the knowledge of who Christ is uh, about worshiping in such a way that, that as we know Christ, our relationships are intact. And so let's go to the text. He says, first of all, as we examine ourselves, as we look at ourselves, he says this, be joyful always. And he goes to the bottom of the verse 18, 
For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And just stop there for a second. For example, Philippians 4, verse 6. A lot of us have memorized this. Be, be, don't be overly wrought about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. So you say to people, well, are, you know, if you're upset, if you're overly wrought, uh, have you prayed? Because the Bible says that prayer will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the word guard means to stand as a sentinel. I would suggest you, if you look at the passage, prayer doesn't guard our hearts and our minds, primarily. Jesus does. Be careful for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God in the peace of God. See, peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We've got to know who we are in Christ. We have to pray from the authority of the ground of who Jesus is in our lives. Our high priest, our intercessor in Christ Jesus. Every time, not every time, but often when I hear a Christian athlete interviewed, the question is, do you have a favorite verse? The answer is yes. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. It's all about Christ. I was reading Luke 21 yesterday, and Jesus says to Peter, no, Luke 22, he says to Peter, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Peter, and when you return, strengthen your brothers. See? And I, I just was thinking went to Romans 8, that the same Christ who prayed for Peter prays for us. Wow. See, rejoice, be joyful in Christ Jesus because God is Abba Father and glory awaits. There's a little statement in the bulletin from Heidelberg Catechism. Question one, what is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, my only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says, who has purchased for me peace with God by his shed blood, and not a hair can fall from my head without my heavenly Father's knowledge. Wow. Rejoice because we walk before Abba, Father, the Son, the Spirit, and glory awaits. There, there are people that I'll see today and we're sitting in here in North Campus and in the gym today who I would trust with my life. I've known them for a long time. I, I would give my financial portfolio whatever that would be worth to them. I would give, I, I would say, here, you manage it. I, I would give my, I, you manage it. I mean, people I, I trust but listen to me. But Abba Father is much greater than any friend I have. And I can trust him. So rejoice. Be, be very glad. See, joy is a looking unto the one who is gloriously good and who loves us. 
there's a recent article in World Magazine, that I, a magazine I strongly recommend, and it was written by a guy named Marvin Olosky, and he was talking about, he was reviewing a book by a well-known, outspoken atheist, who he said last year on the BBC, he gave an interview last August of 2011, and this man said, quote, pessimism is the key to happiness as an atheist, because the gap between aspirations and reality will kill us unless we reduce our worldly aspirations as Christianity does. He's very positive about Christianity. And then Olasky picks it up, who's a former atheist. He was a Marxist, and he came to faith. He's a wonderful writer. He says, says, true, but Christians are cheerful pessimists because we're optimistic about resurrection. I, I like that. Now, you say, well, is that not an oxymoron? Cheerful pessimist? Well, understand his context. People say to you occasionally, how is it going? And you say, if it's going well, it's going very well. But you should say underneath your breath, but it won't last. Seriously. Did you have your physical this week? Yeah. What did the doctor say? Man, the doctor said, even though I'm 60, I've got the body of a 30-year-old, but it won't last. See, the outer man is perishing. We operate on the law of diminishing returns. So we're, 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 we're optimistic, cheerful about reality because we serve Abba Father. And you know, the best is yet to be. Glory awaits. See, listen, brothers and sisters, rejoice in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in your position in Him. Rejoice in that He watches over us and we will breathe our last when He calls us home. Rejoice and be glad. And I, I think about people who profess no faith or say God is, but He cannot be defined. And I, I, I look at them. A lot of times I look at people, I'm quite serious. I look at people who, who go through very difficult times and, and they get out of bed day after day, and they go to work, and, and they do their duty, and, and they have no hope of heaven. They have no comfort in knowing that there is an Abba Father who became man and died on the cross for our sins, and, and, and yet they're just plugging. And I admire them. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how you go to a funeral if you don't have hope. So, so this is, is who we are. And see, in the passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about the glory the glory of our hope in Christ. He kind of sums it up with this, with this thundering statement in verse 58. He says, Therefore, based upon the resurrection of Christ and our coming resurrection and the hope of heaven, therefore, dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Be strong, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. And then he takes a break and he starts greeting people. And he talks about how to respond to giving on the Lord's day. And, per, and to me, he's, he's so overcome. He comes right back to the theme. And in verse 13, he says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. And that has nothing to do with what he's saying. I think Paul's heart is reverberating with this theme. Be steadfast, immovable, be strong, be steadfast, be, be loving. Let all you do be done in love because nothing is ever done in vain. Now, in, in, I think it's in 79, there was a movie 
Butch Cash and, or 69, Butch Cash and the Sundance Kid. Some, some of you thought that's ancient cinema, but for some of us, we remember that. And these guys were bank robbers, and they fled, fled to, I think, Bolivia. And there was a U.S. marshal that kept pursuing them. And I remember they're sitting on top of a cliff. They thought they'd escaped the law. And, and they look at this U.S. marshal who wore a, a, a white scarf and, and Sundance. Um, Bruce Cassidy says to Sundance, he said, who are these guys? Who are those guys? They just keep on coming. They just keep on getting after it. And I think when people look at the church of people who serve Christ, who, who are those guys? Man, they, 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 take a, they take a broadside hit and they keep on going. They keep on trusting. They, they, they keep on smiling. They keep on seeing about the goodness of God. They, they just keep on going. Rejoice. Because God is gloriously good and glory awaits. Second, he says, and pray without ceasing or pray continually. Now that, that is this. It is a continuous looking unto God, a calling out to God for his mercy. It, it is stopping in the middle of the day and st- walking aside for 30 seconds and say, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on this person you just brought to mind. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on, on this. It's, it's praying from stoplight to stoplight. It's praying for family members from stoplight to stoplight. It's praying for, 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 for cross-cultural workers from stoplight to stoplight. It's praying for your the, uh, people group that you're praying for, the Berbers of North Africa from stoplight to stoplight. It, it is going to the Lord. It, it, is, it is being people who just are, are, are given to prayer. Heidelberg Catechism, question 116, says, why do we pray? And the answer is this. Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us, and also because God gives His grace and His Holy Spirit only to those who continually pray and groan inwardly. God gives His empowering grace and his anointing Holy Spirit, I would say, only to those who seek him in prayer and those who groan inwardly saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of mercy, God, have mercy on me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, move. Lord, pour out your spirit upon our people. Please pray. Pray without ceasing. Be people who look to God. Uh, Martin Luther wrote a preface to the Lord's Prayer. It's a picture of him. He talked about the importance of prayer. And this is what Luther said. He said, if we don't make good use of the Lord's Prayer, quote, we deserve not only to be given no food to eat, but also to have dogs set upon us and to be pelted with horse manure. <laughs> trying to make a point. So it's says Christians, he says, who know Jesus and who are covered by the blood of Christ, who have a mediator between God and man whose name is Jesus, who have been taught in the Bible to draw near to the throne of grace with mercy, who do not pray, should not only be given no food to eat, but should have dogs set upon them and should be pelted with horse manure. He's trying to make a point. He says, wake up. Wake up. Pray without ceasing. Just pull up, just say, Lord, I look to you. I can't understand this. I look to you. 
have set times of prayer, but pray, pray as you go. It's worship. Um, there's a man named Joseph Scriven who was from Ireland. He was 21, was to be married the next day. Uh, tragically, his fiancée went swimming and drowned the day before she was to be married. So he's told, your, your fiancée's drowned. Overwhelmed with grief, uh, 21, he has a job offer in Canada. He leaves Ireland, goes to Canada, becomes engaged to another young, wonderful young woman. Uh, she contracts pneumonia. She dies a week before they're to be married. It's amazing. So he's grief-stricken. He's living, doing his thing, believer. Age 35, he gets a message from his siblings your, your mom is on the point of death. And so he, he writes, this man who understands grief, understands sorrow, understands pain, he writes a little poem and sends it to his mom. And here's the poem. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Yes. Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee, thou wilt find a solace there. So, you know, pray. Pray. Pray in your homes. Dads, listen to me. Dads, listen. You're the leader. You're the servant leader. Get the kids around. Read a little passage of Scripture, not too much, and just have a couple of people pray. Send us prayers in the name of Jesus, invoking the power of God in your home. Couples, pray together. Doesn't have to be fancy or just lord we ask you by your power to invade our marriage please lord please pray just prayer prayer should be just a looking unto god that's worship pray in the lord jesus christ you pray pray in the position of who jesus is not about your position who jesus is church of, of prayer and then he says this thirdly he says in all things give thanks for this is god's will for you in christ jesus now i'm going to address an aspect of this verse god is gloriously good and he reigns we are responsible to walk in obedience This is an overstatement, but sometimes I just read the odds this week. The Dallas Cowboys are twenty-five to one. It's twenty-five to one odds of them winning the Super Bowl this year, Cowboys. So maybe you think, you know, this is this is the year for the Cowboys. I'm going to take my investment. Let's say you've saved a hundred thousand dollars, and I'm going to call a bookie in Las Vegas, and I'm going to put everything on the Cowboys. 
this is my time. What do you do? And they don't win. And so you say, well, God's sovereign. I'm going to start sniffing cocaine just to get up, you know, for work. You get hooked, go to rehab, lose your family, lose everything. God's sovereign. Come on. I mean, there is, real quickly, there is a, a, a secret decorative will of God where he providentially reigns. And then there, and that, that is something we trust in. We, we don't know. It unfolds. And then there is the revealed will of God wherein we walk. And, and in all things give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Are, are you in Christ? Are you walking the way of Christ? All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord Christ, love God. I can I can see behind the screen of the decorative secret will of God, but I can sure see see this, and, and and that's why we say life is warfare. This is here's a quote by Lewis. Lewis says we live in enemy occupied territory to a degree. That is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. And he says every time you go to church, you listen in to the secret instructions of the Lord. And that's why the, the enemy tries to keep you from going to church, he says, through indolence, arrogance, or laziness, whatever. read a story, a wonderful story about, that gives this illustration. It said that, uh, I think it was in Indonesia, there's a huge python. And he, somebody came home and they're in a little house one day and there's this python laying in the middle of their hut. And it was 30 feet long. It was, it was huge. And so they, in great alarm, called some people in and said, well, you, you, you take your knife and you sneak up on the python and you plunge it into its head to the brain. That's why you kill a python. I don't know. I've never killed a python. But the story goes, that's what they did. Well, the python's tail started going back and forth and knocking everything over in the apartment and it took him a long time to die, but he died. That's a picture of the adversary, the forces of darkness. On the cross, Jesus put a dagger through the head. But he still makes movement. The Puritans did not understand pythons. Okay? 1660, not a lot of knowledge about pythons. They talked about Satan being a chained dog. They said, if you, if you go in this, the, the, the area of the chained dog, you open yourself up to the power of darkness in your life. There, there are people here today who are walking in the circumference of the chained dock. You've entered the little thatched roof apartment dwelling where, where a python is throwing its tail back and forth. Deuteronomy 29. We go there a lot of times. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, 
but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the law. So, so let, let me tease this out and give you a few illustrations. In the, I've got a few minutes. For example, unfortunately, survey after survey tells us that, that, that our sexuality, for example, I'll just go to 1 Thessalonians, is reflecting the mores of the world more and more. More and more um, young people are living together before marriage or living or sleeping around. More and more people are divorcing for any and every reason. But you go to First Thessalonians chapter 4, it's very clear. Verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the world. We're different. And, and so you, you meet people and, and, and they've lost their zeal for Christ. They've lost their desire for the things of God. And they say, and I say, you know, the, the issue is when you're involved in known disobedience, God's spirit is grieved and it will not go well with you. When I meet young couples, I mean, this is interesting. When I first came here a long, long, long time ago, couples were living together, but they gave different addresses on the visitor's forms that people fill out. Now, more and more and more young couples living together give the same address and phone number. There's no shame. They're just doing it. They're living together. And so when I talk to these people, I say, listen, you need to go to different residences and not participate in, in immorality because you're grieving the Spirit of God. You can't walk in joy. You just can't. And your, your, your thinking is clouded. You become accusative toward one another. You don't appreciate one another because you're walking in known disobedience. You know, we've got to walk under the revealed will of God. And, and parents... I'll, I'll meet young people frequent. This happens frequently. They're 24, 25, 23. 20, they're, they're, they're over. They're 20, in their 20s. They're in, let's say, they say, well, I'm in medical school, first year. My mom and dad want, to, want me to wait until after my first year of residency to get married. That's five years. And I say to them, either your parents are not believers because you guys are going to be messing around pretty soon. Or they are so old and stupid, they've forgotten the passionate desire for sex when you're young. Maybe they're just dumb or unbelievers. There's no third option. Get married. Honor God. We have to walk under the revealed will of God. A couple of examples. Well, I'm on a roll here. First Peter. First Peter 5. Five, six, it says, it says, young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older or to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that in due season he'll lift you up. Are we submissive to the authorities God has put in our lives? Or do we bellyache and complain and make fun and belittle? Listen, 
The Bible says in Ephesians 5, be submissive one to another. Can we learn from each other? Here's the promise. When you do that, God will lift you up. You say, well, I, I don't want to listen to anybody. I don't want anybody in my life to tell me what to do. I don't want to be open to people. Well, then, then, listen, I did not watch the Republican National Convention. I did Google because I heard a lot of noise about Clint Eastwood's 11-minute speech. It was abominable. It was horrible. It broke my heart. That that speech was given before a major party nominee would give the acceptance speech to be president. There's no reason to mock the president of the United States. There's no use to make people laugh over gross innuendo. It was horrible. We are people of civility. We can say, I disagree with the governor or the senator or the congressman or my husband or whatever because, but there's no reason to be, we're supposed to pray for the president. We're supposed to long for his welfare. I'm not saying you should vote for A or B. I'm just, let's be people of Christ. And it grieved me that I was laughing. And I said, why am I laughing? This is gross. This is wrong. This is a violation of scripture. It's just like, it's like, you know, husbands, you're, you're kind of upset with your wife because she's not doing A, B, and C for you. See, as a husband, I can't make my wife do A, B, and C. I'm responsible to nourish her and to cherish her and to love her. I can ask God, God, by your spirit, fall upon my marriage if I'm not willing to say, I'm going to love my wife like Jesus loves the church. And all things give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Are you, are you walking here? I was, um, God bless my business. God, God bless our finances. Well, listen to, listen to Proverbs 11. And then in Proverbs 11, it says this. Verse 24. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but it comes only to poverty. The generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You know, if you want God to bless you, I know. Well, so that's, that's Proverbs. That's, that's the wise sayings. Well, how about Malachi? Malachi says the whole nation is under a curse because you're withholding your tithes and your offerings. If for me to step back and say, God, bless me financially, and I'm not willing to be a good steward of what God has given me, Save your breath. I think in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 15, the people of God had been told to go this way, and they all went that way. And this is what the Lord says to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, don't pray for them. If Moses and Samuel prayed for them, I wouldn't listen. They're not walking in obedience. See, my issue is to, to live here and to say, God, blessed be your name. always a course adjustment you always deal with your stuff you always deal with your stuff we all do so be a people of worship because you know who you are in Christ and because you know who you are in Christ your relationships as much as depends upon you are in sync 
And as you do that, worship feeds that understanding. And that feeds worship, which is rejoicing in Christ, which is praying in Christ, which is giving thanks in Christ as we go forward. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day and for the, the mercies of the cross. Thank you for... Um, Thank you for the instruction of Scripture. Thank you that we're not like children who don't know east from west or north from south or up from down. We have a compass. And by the power that you bring, Holy Spirit, plant that compass in our lives. Lord, I pray for the uh, stuff in my life as well as the stuff in all of our lives. The, the, The ongoing battle against sin drags us down but thanks be to god the power of the spirit is greater lord let us walk in known faithfulness to your word let let us let us take the speck out of our eye so that we can help or excuse me the plank out of our eye so we can help our brother get the tiny speck out of his or her eye Um, i just thank you for this church thank you that these people are kind And Lord, thank you for the generational impact. Thank you for the the, the vision to reach unreached people groups. Thank you for all these things. And I I know all of these desires, all of these um, inclinations can come to a screeching halt if we are not people of the risen Christ who understand we have not been appointed to wrath but receive salvation, that we're children of the day. And because of that, we live it out in relationship and worship floods our lives. So may we be worshiping people, Lord, this day in our homes, worshiping people in our marriages, worshiping people in this church, worshiping people. I pray that prayer would be a first reflex for us, just looking to you, trusting you. Because you're our Father and glory awaits and you're good. We rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen.